Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want us to begin reading there at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant that how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud that led them from the land of bondage, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they were all overwhelmed or surrounded by that event, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's why it was so grievous when Moses struck the rock the second time. That rock was represented Christ, and Moses erred grievously when he did that. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why was it that they were overthrown? After all of the effort, God leading them out, why was it that they were overthrown? Well, he tells us, in verse 6, now these things were written for uh, were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, the covetousness that we spoke about on Sunday evening. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, in mentioning the making of the golden calf. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, 3,020, 23,000 people were judged uh, as, as a result of that uh, worship of the golden calf. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. I spoke to you recently on how long will you provoke the Lord? The Lord asked that question, testing him, uh, tempting the Lord and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. So we should study about it, right? The Old Testament's examples are recorded for us, and Paul brings it into his discussion to the Corinthians who were divided and had several spiritual problems. These things, their Example was recorded and preserved for our learning, our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There was a lot of bragging going on in the church at Corinth, a lot of comparison, a lot of a, I have arrived kind of mentality. None of us have, and Paul was pointing that out to them. There is no temptation or test taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you, will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, the first word that we read in our text was moreover. And so that's referring back to something he's already said. So we need to back up a few verses, right? Look the, uh, in verse 25. Every man that striveth for the mastery, everyone that competes in athletic events, is temperate, has self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, that same kind of effort and discipline and exercise spiritually, we do it to obtain a spiritual and eternal crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, 
uh, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, a shadow boxer as a, bo- a boxer would spar. I'm not just pretending. I'm not just going through the motions, Paul is saying. We have this little biographical testimony here. It's very, very insightful. But in verse 27, it's one of the most chilling, one of the most thought-provoking verses in the entire book of 1 Corinthians, the letter. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, that I myself should be a castaway. That's the background, that's the fear, that's the reverential awe, that's the incentive that Paul uses for himself as he begins to teach about the steps of backsliding. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. Something that is uh, possible for every one of us. We never reach a stage or an age in life where it is not possible to have a spiritual declension. And so we need to be very careful, walk circumspectly, and look at the examples, the warnings that the Scripture gives us as we navigate toward heaven. May I just pause and say that I think the closer we get there, the easier or the the greater the temptation is to commit this sin. My fear as a pastor is that those of us who've known the Lord for years or walked with the Lord one of the, the t- chief ploys that Satan has is to get us in this thinking that we know these things and because we know them that that can't be us, that, that, that won't be us. But that's the very warning he gives here. Wherefore, let them that think they stand take heed lest they fall. Knowing stuff, knowing sound doctrine is just part of the situation. There are a lot of people who are in jail today, who've made shipwreck of the faith, who are castaways, who know more Bible than you and I do here tonight. So that in and of itself, knowing Bible facts, being grounded in Scripture, which is so vitally important, that in and of itself is not an insulation for the possibility of what Paul talks about here. In verse 12, he warns the Corinthians of the dangers of spiritual shipwreck in in verse uh, 27, back in chapter 9, verse 27. And here again, he tells them and us, take heed. So that's a warning, isn't it? Pay attention, beware. The behavior of the multitude that was brought out of the land of Egypt has spiraled downward or backward. They picture the, the stages in the life of a backslider. Now, let me pause and say here, this should not be the experience of any of us. It should never be, but it always is the possibility. So we should beware. We're to always be on guard. A backslider is a believer, a child of God, who does, not, who does just exactly what the Word says. He slides backward. He goes back in his Christian experience instead of forward. They go back to some degree in their heart, in their heart their mind, and then eventually in their behavior. The backslider, the Bible tells us, Proverbs 14, 14, if you'll jot that verse down, tells us where it takes place. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Backsliding is always inward before it is outward, before it is seen. The motion, the movement backward is already started inwardly in the heart and mind before it's ever evidence in the walk or the, the, the lifestyle. So they go back. In the Bible there, that, that's a perfect description, Proverbs 14, 14, our definition of the word. The backslider, where? In heart, shall be filled with his own ways. Instead of God's ways, instead of the truth that he knows, 
because the backslider has been somewhere. You have to have been somewhere before you can slide backward. They have progressed to some degree in this, the Christian faith. They may have gone greatly in the Christian faith, for example, uh, David or someone else. But they, the backslider in heart are filled with their own ways, in, in other words, in place of God's ways. So the first observable trait of a backsliding condition is a distaste for God's word. We often sing that, that old hymn, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Or we should be, shouldn't we? It is, after all, our spiritual food, the word that we're holding tonight. It is heavenly manna, just as God fed them with the manna, miraculously supplied. The word that you have is the miraculously, miraculously supplied spiritual manna for the soul. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. There's no unimportant portions of Scripture. There's no part of the Bible that should be left off. It's all equally inspired, all equally important, and uh, should have our attention. So, uh, again, that's one of Satan's uh, ploys, I think. Let's just leave off that distasteful part over there or that hard-to-understand portion of the Scripture or this book or that. No, all of it is for our learning and admonition. And we need to be very careful that, that we allow all of the Word of God to speak to us. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, he was quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And I want to remind us tonight that the first cause of our salvation is the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God takes his sword, which is the word of God. It is alive. It is powerful. It can do more than any earthly scalpel or sword can do and pierces our hearts. Uh, there are many pictures there, the sword doing surgery, but the greatest picture of the Word of God is in our salvation. Remember, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus' response was, how? How is that to be? How do I, you know, how's, how? He was absolutely baffled. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, 23, exactly how that takes place. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the seed of the word of God brings about the new birth. That's why we put so much emphasis on the Sunday school, children's work, Bible memorization. Our, our children are learning Bible verses tonight. And it's good to ask them to quote them to you as parents. What was your verse? Go over the verses that the Sunday school teachers send home. They do that on purpose. That may be the very seed that brings forth the conversion, the regeneration in their heart and life. We believe that. It is the power of the gospel and the salvation. You don't know what part of the word of God that God will use to bring about salvation. I've shared with you the testimony of A.W. Pink, the noted uh, Bible commentator. As he was raised in a godly home of wonderful parents. He got into seances, spiritualism, they call it at that time, the, the Ouija boards and all that. His parents were heartbroken. They were grieved. He would spend every night going to these seances and kind of, that kind of things. His father was just, he would sit up and when Arthur would walk in the door, one night he said, son, as he was ignoring his father and going up the stairs, he said, he said, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And A.W. Pink said he went up to his room and could not come out for days. That verse 
that his father quoted to him, implanted in his heart and mind, and brought about his conversion. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I give that illustration to say this. It's all the supernatural living word of God. And of course, that young man had had the scripture, you know, put into his, at least his ears, his heart and mind all of his life. But in his testimony, as far as he could recognize, that verse is the verse that uh, brought about salvation. Charles Spurgeon was raised in a godly home. His grandparents and great-grandfathers were preachers. His father was a pastor. But as a 16-year-old boy, they'd sent him to school. He was off at a boarding school, and he just could not get it. He knew all the facts of salvation. He could tell you from A to Z the gospel, but he was absolutely lost, and he was fearful, and he was about to just turn away from it all, and he decided he was going to visit every chapel, they called them, every church in the community, the little village where he was, until he could figure it out. He said, I'd go to this preacher, and he'd preach on the terrors of the law, and I agreed with it, I knew it, but didn't do anything. I'd go to this other preacher, I heard it all. One Sunday, he was on his way to hear in a primitive Methodist church. It started snowing, and nobody could get to church. Even the preacher couldn't get there. And Charles Spurgeon sat in the back, and a deacon took the service. He mounted the old, you know, the pulpit. So you walk up in the steps, up in the pulpit. And he took the verse from uh, Isaiah, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And he said that deacon took that verse and stammered and stuttered through it and explained it and went this direction and backed up and went another direction. And finally he said, Young man back there, you look troubled as you can be. Let me just tell you, all you need to do is look. Anybody can look. Look to the Lord. That's all you need to do. He said, look unto me, all you ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And Charles Spurgeon's testimony was like a light bulb. It went off in his heart and mind that moment. and He was converted. Your conversion came about by the seed of the Word of God, just as biologically there was a seed and an egg that brought about your physical birth. You must be born again. If you're going to be born again, it won't be by somebody's personality or some show they put on or whatever else you can come up with, it will be by the seed of the Word of God. And it's so miraculous. Isn't that freeing, especially in our evangelism and your Sunday school teaching? That Word, and what did he say about that Word? It will never return void. My Word will accomplish all that I've appointed it to. Every verse has an appointment to it in every sinner's life that God is going to save, and he knows exactly what it will take to save them, and it's more than sufficient to do. All that we're to do is to deliver it and pray over it and point them to it and explain it. That poor deacon who stood up that day was not didn't think he was going to take the service. He just took a verse probably he'd read that day or in his devotions and started explaining the gospel, and one of the greatest evangelical preachers ever was saved as a result of his efforts. But you know what it was. It was the Word of God, wasn't it? The power, the supernatural power of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. The very gospel you tell has within it the power to regenerate. So, you say, well, I thought you were talking about backsliding. I am. The same word that brought about our conversion is the word that we're to feed on every day. It is the same word that will correct us and sanctify us and to purify our hearts and minds. 
it is the spirit of truth. It shows us our, our filthy, putrid sin, our self-righteousness, which will never do before the, the holiness and the purity of God. The spirit of God does his supernatural work of regeneration. We can't explain it. Regeneration means being born again. And there has to be that act before a sinner can come to repentance and faith. It's a rebirth. Salvation comes by using God's word. That's why it is so grievous where so little of God's word is used in many places. And it is the very thing that will bring about salvation and sanctification. Not only is it the source of our deliverance, it is the sustenance of our existence after our salvation. The soul has to be fed. The soul has to be nourished. In verse 10, the Bible says, They murmured against Moses and complained about the manna. They complained about the physical manna he was giving them, but a lot of God's people complained about the word of God. They desired the spicier sustenance of the world. Remember, they began to think about their diet back in Egypt, the leeks and the garlics. They criticized the manna, and it revealed their carnality, the pitiful condition of their hearts. When the word of God is not the most important thing in the believer's life, we are announcing our spiritual condition. Let me ask you this evening, is God's word alone enough for you above everything else? Are you constantly searching for something else, some excitement, something spicier? They revealed a serious backslidden condition when they traded the miraculously brought food that God provided for them and wanted something from their past. See the, the picture sliding back to Egypt. How could Egypt have ever been thought of in a desirable way? They were slaves, beaten by taskmasters, required to make bricks and they didn't like, and had to go collect the the materials to make it their lives were absolutely horrible don't ever forget where you were when god found you and if you were saved as a child and you don't have a whole lot of horrible physical sin to mourn praise god for what he saved you from whenever god saved you he saved you out of whatever it was and he saves you from what all future predicaments and situations. I rejoice that God saved me as a as a 15-year-old boy. I, I'd have, I shudder to think if the Lord hadn't saved me exactly when he did, the, the direction of my life. And so I, I rejoice in that. The wilderness of the children of Israel is a type of the world. We're in a wilderness world, aren't we? This world is no friend of grace. In this howling wilderness, it has nothing that will feed the soul Nothing that will sanctify you. Nothing that will help you one bit. Everything you must have is in this book here. Everything that God wants you to know is found in these sacred pages. Everything that will feed you, that will change you, it's the same word that saved you as the word that will change you, that will sanctify you. The world and its system is hostile to us, and we must learn to walk by faith through it on our way to heaven. They experience God's loving care, his provision, every step of the way. The things which happen to them physically are an example for us spiritually. You have to keep that in mind when you're understanding the Bible. The Old Testament physical examples, there's a spiritual correlation for us. The land of Canaan was the land, of, a physical land for them. For us, it is the life in Christ. 
It is gaining new heights every day. It is conquering sin. It is overthrowing strongholds. It is slaying giants of fear and doubt and unbelief and lust and all those things. There's a, there's a reward. There's an inheritance to obtain. There are possessions spiritually that God wants us to have. That's our Canaan. It is not the literal cities and vineyards that he gave the children of Israel, but it's the land of blessing. It is the place of usefulness, of service, of understanding, of growing in grace. Their needs had been supernaturally met. Your needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs will come from the word of God. It's a sad thing when a child of God tries to find answers other places, and they often do. And, but let me tell you, God's word is sufficient. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. All they had to do was to gather the manna every day. And let me remind you, child of God, that this world can provide nothing which will nourish the regenerated soul of the child of God. It cannot. As newborn babes desire you the sincere milk of the word. In other words... That picture is a very vivid picture. A baby desires milk. I mean, they cry for it. They want it. And it's not that we're to stay on the milk of the Word of God, but it's describing the appetite we should have for the Word of God. And that has to be developed. That has to be uh, nurtured within us. We must feed upon the Word of God. Our food is the spiritual food from heaven, supernaturally provided by the Lord. And it is our responsibility to gather it. Now, again, the picture there in the Old Testament, the manna was brought to them every day, but they had to go out and get it. And we must feed ourselves. So many of God's people wait from service to service. They wait for somebody to spoon feed them. Can you imagine just sitting at your table waiting for somebody to spoon feed you every day? A lot of us wouldn't get fed, would we? I mean, that, that whole picture is silly, isn't it? For adults sitting there, I'm ready for my, I'm ready for my supper. I'm ready for my breakfast. The manna was just outside the door. You'd get that Bible and open it up and to, to read. I, I'm amazed. It seems like people are almost scared or they've been told that you can't understand the scripture, that you have to have some program. Some thing, some device, and I praise God for all the, the good programs and devices, but let me just tell you, there's nothing that replaces the child of God opening the scripture and say, and pray, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. And begin reading. Read it. Even if you don't understand it, know that this is God's word. There is an interpretation. The Holy Spirit will teach it to me. And it may take a whole lifetime to understand some portions of Scripture. After all, it is the Word of God. It's not, you know, it's not Mary had a little lamb. It's not uh, fairy tales. It is the Word of God. There's a supernatural element to it. There's mystery to some of it. It is the mind of God. But you must take it yourself and read it and feed upon it and mull upon it and think about it and come at it again and again and again, praying, Lord, help me. And there's nothing wrong with getting a commentary and, 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 and consulting programs, but some people like the program better than the Word of God, or they let that replace it. And there's nothing that will replace you with an open Bible in your lap or on the table there and crying out to God, Lord, teach me your Word. Let me ask you, do you do that? Do you gather the spiritual manna and feed on it day by day? This is God's way. Every Christian of every generation... Think we have so much at our disposal. Think of the Christians three or four or five hundred years ago. 
you think they were less spiritual than we are because they didn't have all the books and the aids and the you know the Bible study guides and all those things that I'm not uh, saying they're not important, but every Christian has the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them. You can ask the author what he meant by what he wrote. And then plead with the Lord to teach it to you. And, and so I'm going to believe it, Lord, whether I understand it or not. That's my attitude toward it. I'll come to a portion of Scripture and say, Lord, I don't understand what this means here. But I believe it. I know it's from you. I know it is the Word of God. And I will believe it whether I can fully apprehend all of its depth. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of, of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. In His ways, what? Or past finding out. So there is an element. Please know there's an element to the word of God. You will never fully, totally figure it all out. Until the word made flesh, the lamb is in our midst. And we will have it all, all those mysteries open to us. This is God's way. He has provided it for us. And the only way that you can grow in grace, it'll be through God's word. I pray, Lord, every time I open it, I say, Lord, give me what I need today. And not just to, to preach and to teach to other people, although it's a major part. My, my life is to study God's word and to pray. That is my, my calling. But Chris Lamb needs answers and needs correction and needs feeding. And I am just convinced that the word of God has in it all that I need even in those areas of my life that are complicated or I've not been successful in, in gaining the, the grace or the, the growth that I want to see there. You know, at this age, at 62, I have to say, Lord, I am so sorry that there are areas of my life that I'm still an immature in. And there's no reason it shouldn't be that way. But aren't you glad that God's word is sufficient and his grace is sufficient and will do all that we need to do in this sanctification process? I'm afraid that many of God's people, even in good sound churches like ours, are Bible malnourished because the word of God is known about. But I'm wondering if it's, it's taken to the depth. I'm going to cling to this. I'm going to allow this to sanctify me. I'm going to allow this portion of scripture to feed me. Uh, this, this afternoon, as I was just uh, praying and asking the Lord to help me, two verses came to mind from the, the study other than what I was studying here on this. And it just, it were like, again, like those light bulb moments where the Holy Spirit said, this is what you your need here. This is the answer to what you've been praying about. And so my habit is I'll often jot it down on a little, little three by five card and keep it there, bring it out and mull over it and pray over it and just for, for days until, you know, the Holy Spirit shows me the truth about it and also how it applies to me personally. We cannot nourish the spiritual man with man-made books and, and magazines and entertainment. Now, I'm, the, the, the Christian literature and sound literature is good. I'm not saying that. But there's so much else. And I'm, I'm a voracious reader, and I read across a long, lot of lines of things, but I always know it has to take second place to the Word of God that I'm reading. And I can never allow that to dominate the, the, the Bible itself, because it has a tendency to do that when you have such a wide range of interest like I do. I mean, I could just read, you know, in science or history or art or whatever and just go on and on and on. And it's not that it's not that's bad. 
it's just that I have to, I've only had so much time, and I, those things will not feed the soul, will they? They may make you more interesting and interested and, uh, as a person, but those things cannot feed the soul. The only way to grow in grace is to feed upon Christ in his word. Oh, that we would learn and practice this truth. If you don't have a system of Bible studying and Bible reading, set aside a time each day where you sit with an open copy of God's word and read a portion over it, of it and pray over it. How much is irrelevant. Someday it may, it may be a few verses. Someday it may be a few chapters. Some days it may be a whole book. But pray over it. Holy Spirit, show me what this means. Feed upon it. You begin to think about it. And then the Bible says ransack. You search the scriptures. That ransacking is like a scientist or like a researcher, an archaeologist digging out the truths there. Search the scriptures. Ask questions about it. I have notebooks where I just have questions about what does this mean? And I keep researching until the Holy Spirit answers that question. Take notes. Uh, Sometimes I'll put the portion of Scripture in my own words and make it as accurate as possible so so I can recite it back. Memorize it. There's there's nothing like that. Meditate over it. Think about it as you uh, read along and and as you're riding in in the car and as you go here to there. Listen to it. Listen to the Word of God on on, uh, tape. And it is good, I teach my Bible students, to read the Word of God out loud. Hearing it in your voice and reading it, observing the, the, the phrasing, the punctuation, and all those things, it makes it alive and it makes it real to you. So you might want to practice that or add that into your Bible reading, actually reading whatever you're reading out loud to yourself. All of us are different. We're different learners and different ways of things of impressing upon us. But it will renew your mind. That's the thing. The only thing that can renew your mind is the Word of God. Nothing else can. Other things can teach your mind, sharpen your mind. But renewing your mind is a spiritual discipline that only the alive Word of God can do that. You know, when you do this, you begin to think His thoughts. His wisdom will begin to be the the normal process of problem-solving and interpersonal relationships. And you'll begin to respond to trials and problems of life in a biblical way. You will walk as He walked. The Bible says that we should do that. This walking in the Spirit, that's what literally what walking in the Spirit means, knowing the Word of God and putting it into practice and responding in a biblical way to the daily trials of life, the circumstances of life. That's what it means. It says, let the word of God dwell in you, uh, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And let me add this here. There is no substitute for this daily gathering of manna, this daily feeding upon Christ. Look in verse 4. They did all drink the same spiritual drink, the water that God provided for them miraculously in the, the desert was from him, wasn't it? And it pictures the, 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 the life-giving power of God's Word. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In verse 11, the Bible tells us there, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. These are examples for us. And so we see the first step of of downward progression. Instead of growing in grace, 
as we're to do, the first step of going backward is a distaste for the Bible. Now, as in all things that are good for us, we might not always have a keen appetite for it. But if you don't learn in life to eat what the doctors would tell you and nutritionists would tell you medicinally, and if you only ate for entertainment or for, the, for taste, you would have an incomplete diet. We eat certain things, I hope we do, because they're good for us, not necessarily because it's, it, you know, the tastiest thing in the world. And so the, the Word of God, the taste for it has to be developed. I think some people think that I have to feel spiritual before I can read the Bible. What is that? <laughs> How would that be? What would that feeling be? Or I have to be in the mood or something, you know, like I can't read that kind of literature unless I'm in the mood for it. The Word of God is in a different class altogether. If the doctor says, okay, you've got to take this antibiotic all the, till, it, till you're through with it, you've got to take it the first day this many, you know, how he tells you, or it won't help. You have to obey the prescription, and you do it whether you like the antibiotic. It's, it's, it's irrelevant of how you feel about it. You don't do it because of its taste. You do it because it is necessary. And so in, in some regards, the Bible is like medicine for the soul. And I think some people feel guilty that they don't always feel excited about it. It's because you're a sinner. <laughs> You've got a depraved heart that has to, it's been regenerated. But tell the Lord, Lord, I just I don't feel very spiritual today. And I'm not very interested in your word. But in your mind as a child of God, you know this is God's word. You know it's good for you. You know it's the source of every blessing, the answer to every question. And you're not going to get it anywhere else. So go ahead and read it. And when you're through and you still don't feel any more spiritual, well, tell the Lord that. I don't feel any more spiritual. But, but listen, friends, if we go by feelings, we're just going to be messed up because feelings are just fickle. And they say something, but that's not the whole story, is it? The Holy Spirit is still at work, even though you don't feel spiritual. Listen, when you come to pray, if you, you pray whether you feel like it or not because that's the only way to get those answers. That's the only way that you're going to, to hear from the Lord. And so we've got to move beyond this, I don't, this feeling part of it. It's, it's important, but it's, that's, that's only part of the, the, the story there. So our spiritual food, and if we replace it with something else that can never, ever satisfy, it cannot change or sanctify us or transform us, and that's what we are in need of. The teaching here is Romans twelve two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How are you going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. The only thing that will renew your mind is what saved your soul to start with, and that's the Word of God. The only thing that will renew you, the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that good or try or test that good, that perfect will of God, acceptable will of God. So we've only gotten the first step, and they're not very many. It didn't take long to, for, to get in a backslidden condition, but the first is a is distaste. For the word of God. So that should be flashing lights in your heart and mind as a child of God. When I'm disinterested in the means, God chooses the means for our growth. And the preaching of the word of God, the assembling of God's people, the study of God's word is key to our spiritual growth. Lord, we want to thank you for the portion of the Word of God that we heard that converted us. And many of us can't remember that exact verse, perhaps, but we know it was the supernatural work of the seed of the Word of God. And we just, Lord, that thrills us. It is so exciting to know that the verses we teach our children and that we say at our mealtime and as we review the 
the the word that they're learning in Sunday school and in youth meetings and uh, Awanas that that will bring about their conversion. We pray that it will, Lord, that it would the Holy Spirit would touch upon that and bring about that regenerating work. And Lord, I just think tonight as we rehearse the conversion of A.W. Pink and Charles Spurgeon that that even the recounting of those testimonies may uh, speak to someone who may have not come to faith in Christ, but that they would look to you and you alone for their salvation. Now take the portion that we studied tonight, Lord, and sanctify each of us with it. May we be afresh and anew determined to feed and to nourish ourselves upon your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.